Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will be on singing. Ten Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. And on that day when my strength is failed, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise on Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name, I worship Your holy name, I worship Your holy His holy name Sing like never before
worship your holy name. Hallelujah, praise your Lord, praise the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. It's Sunday night, Word and Worship. Some of you joined me in the park today. The, the sermon got cut off, and so I thought I would just do an encore presentation of that sermon so you could catch the whole thing about Solomon. And so we're going we're gonna to redo that one here in the studio tonight, and I believe God's going to bless some of you as you watch and maybe take notes and do this study of Solomon with me. So turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to do an overview of the life of King Solomon and share three big nuggets, three big truths, words of wisdom about the life of King Solomon. But before we do, let's read the scripture from the one-year Bible today for October 11th. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. That's the hope that we have as believers in an afterlife and that our loved ones one day will get to see them again. And the life that we have in Christ is, is hidden in Christ in God. And so one day I'm going to see my grandma again. I'm going to see my brother again. I'm going to see my dad again. Those that we love and know have, who have died in the Lord, we're going to see them all again. And when Jesus returns, they're going to come back with him. And that's a pretty great hope. It's a pretty wonderful thing. But let's get into the study today about King Solomon. I'm going to give you an overview of his life. And then we're going to try to glean some really important lessons from his life. And giving it a little context, the last three weeks we've been studying King David. We studied David as a boy, David as a young man as he became king, and David as an old man. And as Solomon's story begins, um, we see some intrigue near the deathbed of King David. Um, there was uh, a, an agreement that Bathsheba and David made uh, about Solomon being king. And they had kind of made it... Uh, between themselves, but one of David's other sons named Adonijah wanted to take the throne um, and become king without being coronated as king. He wanted to sort of, it was like a coup attempt where Adonijah was trying to take the throne of Israel. Well, uh, Bathsheba gets word of it, and this is, uh, Bathsheba is probably David's true love. Uh, this is the wife that he had by adultery and murder, uh, the wife by which he lost um, a child and Solomon was the second born of that union between David and Bathsheba. And as they're getting very old, uh, word gets out that Adonijah is trying to take the throne. So Bathsheba goes into the presence of the king and says, Hey, didn't, didn't we agree that Solomon would be king? And he said, Yeah, we, are. Yeah, we did. He goes, Well, Adonijah is trying to become king all by himself. And so a coup attempt was thwarted and Solomon was crowned the king of Israel. And so we can kind of just uh, give a quick overview of Solomon's life. One of the first things that Solomon does, of course, is he um, strengthens trade alliances. He goes to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and marries one of Pharaoh's daughters. Um, Bathsheba gives him a crown on his wedding day. And as Solomon is taking the throne of Israel, he prays to God and he asks God for wisdom. And God likes that answer. He said, well, you didn't ask for the death of your enemies. 
you didn't ask uh, for wealth or riches, but you asked wisdom to, to lead your people. And because you've asked for your for wisdom, I'm going to give it to you. And you're getting you're going to get those other things as well. You're going to get dominion over your enemies. You're going to have wealth and fame and riches. And Solomon is still known as the wisest king or the wisest man to ever have lived. And so Solomon has officials and governors, and the kingdom of Israel stretches in a vast, uh, in vast distances from what would be, today be the Mediterranean Sea all the way to Iraq, where, where we would call Iraq today. Um, so that's past um, Iran, all the way in Persia, all the way over um, into Baghdad, and, or that Iraq region, down the Sinai and uh, Peninsula and down in the Negev, down by the Red Sea and the Nile River. So that whole east uh, Mediterranean basin was all controlled by King Solomon. He was so wealthy that it, his wealth could be calculated in modern terms to about $17 billion at least. And he, his renown spreads throughout the, the earth. A lady named the Queen of Sheba comes from Africa and uh, they have an affair and uh, she gets pregnant with Solomon's son, and they believe it's it's through oral tradition. We, they believe that the first king of Ethiopia was the uh, offspring of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Solomon builds his own palaces, and of course, uh, God had ordained uh, for one of David's sons to build the temple. And David had stockpiled all these resources because David wanted to build a temple for God. But God says, no, you've you shed innocent blood. Um, you're not the one to build it, but one of your sons can. And so Solomon takes upon himself his father's building project, and he moves the Ark of God into the temple. And, of course, the Ark of God up to this point, from the time of Moses, had been dwelling in a tent, just a tabernacle. And uh, the presence of God could be seen. It was a cloud by day and fire by night. It hovered over the Ark. And so... <laughs> when when Solomon builds this temple, they move the ark into the temple, and God likes it. God likes the temple. His presence is there. The, 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 the glory of God descends in the temple like a cloud, and the presence of the God fill, uh, fills the temple with smoke. And Solomon prays a prayer of dedication, and um, Solomon achieves many wonderful things after the dedication of that. He goes into many building projects. He has lots of... Um, amazing accomplishments as a ruler. He has many, many wives, uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines, in fact. Um, and many of his wives and concubines led him into idolatry. And that's where Solomon got into trouble. And that's where I'm going to get into my main points about Solomon, the three W's of Solomon. And you could guess what those three W's are. Um, but King Solomon, he, although he was very wise, very learned, very smart. He wrote many of the books in the Old Testament. He wrote the, the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, right? Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And he compiled the, the wisdom books of uh, uh, Proverbs. And, of course, the book of, the book of First Kings, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles are all uh, chronicle his life as well. So Solomon has a very outsized influence on the Old Testament. And he's known as a very wise man, but women made him stupid. <laughs> women got him into trouble. They led him into idolatry. And, of course, in those days, many times kings would enter into marriage contracts with other kingdoms to 
develop trade alliances and peace agreements, but he did have 700 wives and 300 concubines. And some people would think that would be a dream come true. Many of us think that would be a nightmare to have that many wives um, because you have to keep those thousand women happy. Um, so interesting. So Solomon had many women in his, in his life. Let's talk about the peop, the women in his life. Of course, that that Queen of Sheba, his his wife from Egypt, many Israeli uh, or Jewish wives, I'm sure. And um, he had his mother, Bathsheba, who I'm sure warned him, hey, my son, remember, uh, your father and I made a big mistake. And even though God turned it around for good, it was a very painful episode. You need to be careful about how you treat women. You need to be careful about how you deal with women. And you need to find a wife of noble character. And so I want to look at Proverbs 31 because this is probably the highest compliment you could pay to a woman is to tell her, that she reminds you of the Proverbs 31 woman and a wife of noble character. Here's what King Solomon says about a godly woman. In, in Proverbs 31, verse 10, he says, A wife of noble character, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her. She will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. And she's like a merchant's ships. She's bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household the, and then plan the day's work for the servant girls. She goes out to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard and she's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure that her dealings are profitable. And her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads, and she dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates, where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all that she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. I believe that God has given me a Proverbs 31 woman in Miss Kim. And I tell her that pretty often. And uh, actually this week is her birthday on the 13th. So you might wish her a happy birthday if you're friends with her, if you know her. I think that uh, it's so important that we look for women of character, that we develop our daughters and our nieces and our cousins into women of character, that our our aunties and uh, grandmothers and, and wives, that we all... Uh, look to try to enable them to be the the noblest women they possibly can be. And, and of course, Solomon was just making that clear in his writings of Proverbs 31. Well, that's the first W. The, the, the second W of King Solomon's uh, life is what I call words. Words from the Lord. Um, hearing from God, knowing that God has spoken. It's so important that when that you remember that when you reach out to God, he'll reach out to you. Solomon learned the secret from his father David. 
that if you'll, if you'll turn to the Lord, he'll turn to you. And as so- Solomon dedicated the temple uh, to the Lord, um, he was praying these prayers and sacrificing lots of animals, and God was hearing his prayers. And I want to I read from Second Chronicles chapter 7 and just describe uh, this incredible moment of his life when the temple was completed and Solomon was dedicating it to God. This is uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, the dedication of the temple. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and they worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. And the priests took their assigned positions, and so did the Levites who were singing. His faithful love endures forever. And they accompanied the singing with music from the instruments that King David had made for praising the Lord. Across from the Levites, the priests blew the trumpets while all Israel stood. Then Solomon then consecrated the central area of the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple, and he offered burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings there, because he... Uh, because the bronze altar he had built could not hold all of the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and sacrificial fat. For the next seven days, Solomon and all the Israelites celebrated the, this festival of shelters, which actually we're celebrating right now in the Hebrew calendar. And when Solomon celebrated, it actually went for 14 days. It was seven days and then another seven days. And a large congregation had gathered from as far away as Labo Hamath in the north and the brook of Egypt in the south. And on the eighth day, they had a closing ceremony for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival of shelters for seven days. Then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home and they were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good to David and to Solomon and to his people. So this was like... This was like the Olympics. <laughs> People were coming from nations all over by the thousands to dedicate the temple of God and celebrate what the Lord had done in Israel. Verse 11, So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as uh, the royal palace, and he completed everything that he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. And then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, Now listen, isn't it interesting? God didn't speak to Solomon during the giant ceremony with thousands of people. He waited till he was alone with Solomon and he spoke these words to him in the stillness of the night. Solomon learned the secret that God doesn't speak in big booming concerts or big uh, fireballs and earthquakes. He normally speaks to us in a still small voice. And here's what God says to Solomon. I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and restore their land. 
My eyes will be open. My ears will be attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Now, it's interesting that this temple, this the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today, the foundation stones are where the western wall where Jewish people pray at day and night right now. Those stones where you see people rocking back and forth and putting prayer notes in the cracks of the wall, that's the foundation of this temple that's being described here in Second Chronicles. i tell you a little secret. I've been to Israel twice. On my second visit, I was at the western wall, and I wrote down some prayers for Summit Church, and I folded them up and I put them in the crack of that wall. And I believe God for wonderful things for this ministry, for this church, for you, for your lives. For those of you who call Summit Church our home, I don't believe God is done with us. I don't think he's done with his church in the world. How do I know that? Well, because we're still here. <laughs> as long as we're still breathing, as long as we're still drawing breath, God still has work for us to do. So that's good news. And so the story continues. God's continuing to talk to Solomon. He says, as for you, if you faithfully follow me as, your, as David, your father, did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty. For I made this covenant with your father, David, when I said, one of your descendants will always rule over Israel. But if your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees and commands I've given you, and if you serve and worship other gods then I will uproot the people from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such a terrible thing to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be because his people abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. And they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. And that is why he has brought all these disasters upon them. You see, God is loving, but he's also just. He's the perfect judge. And that's a terrifying thing. And it's also a good thing. Because we know that he's good. And his, his judgments are right. Even though sometimes we don't like his rules, we don't like the judgments, we know that his judgments are just. I'm going to say something that I really felt like the Holy Spirit told me to share, especially with the, those of you who are watching if you're from Colorado. If you are my friends, in, both in the church or your residents of this state, I really feel like I needed to speak about this particular truth, this thing that came in the mail, in your mailbox probably, and it's called Proposition 115. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I do feel like I, I should read with clarity what this proposition is. 115, to prohibit abortions after 22 weeks. Placed on the ballot by Citizens Initiative, passes with a majority vote. Proposition 115 proposes amending the Colorado statutes to prohibit abortion after 22 weeks gestational age of the fetus, except when an abortion is immediately required to save the life of a pregnant woman. Next, to create a criminal penalty for any person who performs a prohibited abortion. And, thirdly, require that the state suspend the medical license for at least three years of any physician who violates the measure. So what does your vote mean? Well, a yes to 115 
prohibits the abortions in Colorado after 22 weeks, which 22 weeks is the, the age in which they believe a fetus can feel pain. And I hate using the word fetus because it's really a baby. It's when a baby can feel pain in the womb. Except when an abortion is immediately required to save the life of the pregnant woman. A no vote to Proposition 115 means that abortion in Colorado continues to be legal at any time during the pregnancy. So right now, state law is a child can be murdered on the day they're born, even up to nine months of gestational age. Next page here in the Voter's Guide. Summary and analysis for Proposition 115. What happens if Proposition 115 passes? Under Proposition 115, abortions may not be performed after 22 weeks gestational age of the fetus. The measure allows for an exemption, exception when, in the reasonable medical judgment of a physician, first, the pregnant woman's life is threatened by a physical disorder, physical illness, or physical injury by not including psychological or emotional conditions, and second, an abortion rather than an ex expedited delivery of the living fetus is immediately required to save the life of a pregnant woman. Next question, how does the measure define abortion? Under the measure, abortion is any surgical or medication-assisted medi medication procedure performed with the intent to terminate a pregnancy. A procedure is not an abortion if performed with the intent to A, save the life or preserve the health of the embryo or, or fetus. Next, uh, remove a dead embryo or fetus because of miscarriage. Or third, uh, remove an embryo or fetus growing inside of the uterus. Next question. What will be the penalties for performing an abortion after 22 weeks gestational age? If the measure passes, any person who intentionally or recklessly performs or attempts to perform an abortion after 22 weeks gestation would be guilty of a class 1 misdemeanor punishable by a fine of $500 to $5,000. The measure specifies that jail time for the, this offense is not allowed. In addition, the measure classifies performing an abortion after 22 weeks gestation as unprofessional conduct for a licensed physician. The Colorado Medical Board must suspend the professional license of, of a physician for at least three years who is found to have violated the law. There would be no penalty for a woman who receives an abortion or for a person who fills a prescription or provides equipment used in an abortion. Next question. What is, a, what is Colorado's current law related to abortion? Abortion is legal in Colorado, and an adult woman may seek an abortion at any time during her pregnancy. For minors seeking an abortion, Colorado law requires that the parents or caregivers of the minor receive written notification of the abortion at least 48 hours prior to the procedure with certain exceptions. Next question. Can states place restrictions on the limit, the time at which a, a woman may seek an abortion? Yes. The Supreme Court has ruled that a woman has the right to choose to have an abortion before the fetus is viable and that states may regulate or prohibit abortions after fetal viability because the fetus is capable of meaningful life outside the mother's womb. State law must contain exceptions for pregnancies that endanger the woman's life or health. Currently, 43 states have laws limiting abortions after a certain point in pregnancy. For more information on this issue and com committees that support or oppose the measures on the ballot of November 3rd, 2020 election, go to the Colorado Secretary of State Election Center website the hyperlink sos.state.co.us and then forward slash publications and you'll find the publication there on Proposition 115. I know that was a lot. It's, it's probably even more wordy than just reading the Bible. But can I tell you, I think 
this is one issue that's worth going to the voting booth for. Maybe you don't want to pull the lever for any politician, but I can I tell you, as a Christian, I think you ought to weigh in on preserving the life of the unborn. And I know that this is a touchy subject. I know it's difficult. I know that one in three American adult women have had an abortion at some time in their life lifetime. And I know that's a painful memory, and it's very difficult to talk about. And it's a, it's a very personal issue where people have lots of opinions. And I tell you, God loves you. He cares about you. Many women, after they've had an abortion, they, they have deep regret and deep worry and fear and and even anger, and they get very triggered by talk like this. But can I tell you, God loves you, and he's for you. And I think that we also should be for the unborn. They cannot defend themselves. And Christ gave us a mandate that we should take up for those who cannot take up for themselves. The book of Proverbs talks about that. Solomon himself spoke about taking up for those who cannot take up for themselves. I hope that you'll go to the voting booth. Your, your vote is a seed it's, it's an indicator of where your heart is. Your vote matters. Don't just throw it away as something that's unimportant. You are a steward of your vote. Does, does God care about how we live? Does he care about what we do? Does he care about what we say? Yes. Does he care about how we vote? Yes, he does care about how we vote. And I do believe that we'll have to answer, not only to other people, how did we vote in 2020, but we'll have to answer to God how we lived our lives. And did we defend the defenseless? Did we take up for those who could not take up for themselves? I think it's important that you, you know that proposition. And no matter who you vote for, I think that proposition is worth going into the voting booth for to defend the unborn. Abortion is immoral. It's, it's murder. What, no more, uh, what abortion does is it steals the free will of the unborn so that that, that child that never has the chance to choose Christ. And I'm not, uh, of course, they, those, all those babies go to heaven, of course. But you've stolen the ability for that person to freely choose Christ one day. And I, think, I don't think God looks on that lightly. In fact, if God doesn't judge America... For the sin of abortion, we've killed 60 million babies in America since 1973. And an outsized proportion of them have been African American. Abortion is racist. It's one of the worst sins that this country has committed and is continuing to commit. We have to do something on this issue. Will you please vote yes on Proposition 115? I think, I think that would be the Christian thing to do. I really do. So, the, the three W's of King Solomon. We talk about women. We talk about words from God. And finally, wisdom. Wisdom. Solomon understood that life can be painful. That poor decisions can really affect your life. It can really affect uh, what happens in your life. And it's so important to learn from other people's mistakes I've heard that knowledge is information, but wisdom is learning from experience. I think that's true. And here's what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 1, as he, he unfolds what the book of Proverbs is all about. He says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. 
Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple and knowledge and discernment to the young. King Solomon also, of course, he wrote the book of Song of Songs. Song of Solomon was a sort of a love poem that he speaks of his own lovers, and many people think it's also an allegory for God and his people, how we should love God and pursue God and how God wants to be pursued. And I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. There's many allegorical phrases about lovers and being in love and, and having the lover of your soul uh, being God. Um, and there's some beauty in the Song of Songs. I encourage you to read it at your leisure. But it, later in life, Solomon um, assembles another wisdom book called the Book of Ecclesiastes. I think uh, if Solomon was a rock star, his merch table would have a black t-shirt with the white letters just saying one word, meaningless. <laughs> meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon experienced everything. He had all the wealth of the world. He had as many women as he wanted. He had all the food he could enjoy. He had building projects and work projects. and I'm sure he had court jesters and comedy and laughter and everything in between. And what he says is that everything is meaningless. <laughs> and here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all of their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. And then the water returns again to the rivers, and flows out again to the sea, and everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And he goes on to talk about the wealthy person and the poor person end up in the same place. It, it, it's all so meaningless. And there's truth in that. If you're trying to find meaning and significance in pleasure seeking or in wealth or in sex or hedonism, you're never going to be satisfied. It's never going to be enough. And Solomon had the opportunity to partake of all of those things. And in the end, he said, it's really just about enjoying your work, uh, being satisfied with who God made you to be. It's, it's just following in the footsteps of God. Here's what he says, and this is probably the most beautiful poem um, that Solomon ever wrote. And it's, it was actually turned into a, a song by the birds in the 60s. To everything, turn, turn, turn. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, for everything there is a, there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden that God has placed on all. 
Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to end. So I concluded, there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. For these are all gifts from God. I love that line in verse 11 where it says, God has planted eternity in our hearts. There's something inside of our hearts that burns when we think about knowing God, about seeing God, about, about the possibility that God loves us. That God has planted eternity in our hearts. There's something inside of us that gnaws in the back of our head where we're going, I think I'm here for a reason. I think I'm supposed to be doing something. I have this sense of... Uh, of responsibility or I have this sense of awe or the sense of sonship or daughtership with God. Can I tell you, God put that there. He planted that idea in your heart. He's placed eternity there. And you know, I, I know that's true. And that leads me to the gospel. Gee, God created us to be with him. Oh, our sins separate us from God. S, sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds. P, paying the price for our sin. Jesus died and he rose again. E, everyone who trusts in Christ can have eternal life. And L, life that's eternal can begin the moment you receive Christ and last for, for the rest of your life. That's the gospel. Solomon understood what it meant to find joy and happiness in God. And of course, he made some mistakes. He did some wrong things as well, just like his father David. But none of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all intentionally gone our own way. But that's why we need to turn to God. Like Solomon said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I wonder if you need to give your life to Christ and really surrender to the king of the universe. Really let him impart his wisdom and his grace and his goodness to you. Maybe you've sinned in such ways that you think, oh, there's no way God could forgive me. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace is greater than all of your sin. You cannot outsin his goodness. You cannot outsin his grace. Just turn to him and say, God, I need you. I, I, I surrender to you. Please forgive me. I want to live with you as the Lord of my life. Let's pray this prayer, receiving Christ. Will, will you join me? Just pray this wherever you are right now. Just Pause the TV. If you're going for a walk, just stop what you're doing. Make wherever you are right now a holy space between you and God and just take a moment and pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for going my own way. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and you were raised again to new life as the scripture foretold. Please come into my heart be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to follow you, Jesus. From this moment forward, you're the boss. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Now that's a powerful prayer, especially if you'll pray it and believe it. What you need to do from here is start reading the Bible. Start praying. Get involved with the local church. Start growing in your faith. Start turning your life over to the care and control of God. Stop trying to run the show and let God call the shots for your life. And when you sin, repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. If you hurt someone else, make the amends. Say, what I did was wrong. Please, I want to make it right. Do your very best to live with a clear account between you and God and other people. I'm so glad you joined me for this teaching tonight, that you joined me for a little bit of worship. I hope you'll share this teaching with a friend. And let's remember to live wisely and to walk with the Lord. And uh, join me next week for another teaching from God's Word. I love you very much. Uh, support us here online. You can go to our Facebook uh, page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. You can join our community, comment, like, share, follow, subscribe, whatever uh, particular social media network you're watching on. You can be a part of it. And I'm so glad you joined us. I'm going to play just a little video so you can see how you can support the ministry. And I'll see you next time when we get together as we open God's Word. Take care. Good night. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.